Welcome back, listeners, to the Listen In podcast with Jake and Sean. It is October. Um, everything's falling apart, and that is saying something by 2020 standards, Jake. The news has just been relentless. Mm-hmm. Our beloved president, Donald J. Trump, has come down with COVID. You know, he took every precaution, Jake. He really took this seriously. And it's and, still got uh, him. It just goes to show, you know, these these lids and their masks. I don't know, Jake. I yeah, it's <laughs> oh man, Eve, what a fucking mess. <laughs> Where's this is? This, so, this, um, go ahead, go ahead. Something we've been talking about off the podcast, listeners, is how um, this podcast, each episode um, in twenty years or so, will be an interesting time capsule. Um, for this period in history may actually be, in fact, definitely will be the most interesting thing about it in that time. Like, yeah. And this is going to be a very fascinating year to listen back to. Like if you, if we listen back to the last episode where we're in person, I bet we referenced COVID a couple times. I'd be willing to bet. Yeah. And then all of a sudden it's remote and it's like, who knows? It could be remote forever. Like we literally don't know. Yep. And I might never see you in person again. Dude, could be. And that would be a sad thing. But uh, yeah, who, who who could have anticipated that Trump would get the virus? Like you said, he he really followed the letter of the law as far as, as precautions <laughs> well, go. Well, with everything he does, he he, he follows it to the, to the book. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I'm surprised for one. Um, shocked and saddened for another. You know what, Jake? This is, um, if you have been a listener of this podcast for any amount of time, like back to the early days, this would be actually a hilarious time for the shock jock to come back. Actually, oh, dude. it would be beyond parody. It would be like, dude, parody of shock jock at this point would just be like a, a straight man, um, like radio announcer. So like with no eccentricities. Here's the thing is that it's been years since we've had shock jock on a couple of things. So for context for any listeners who are listening who just don't know what the fuck we're talking about, this was a character that um, – a recurring character we had on the podcast. <laughs> he was voiced by me and was a, a loudmouth – this is like 2015, 2016 era. He was basically like a loudmouth right-winger who ran uh, like a heavy metal and rock – radio station like an hour or two on the radio station it was just a total blowhard and we had him on as like a special correspondent to like basically like <laughs> to give his a, takes on on the news of the day yeah give his takes on the news of the day and on the music that he, that we liked but that he derided as like as like saw right. and we <laughs> we right. eventually abandoned rock hard enough Exactly. And as our country has descended into authoritarianism and borderline fascism, that kind of, 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 of strong man, um, like toxic masculinity, machismo bullshit. Yeah. It just, it became not even a joke. It just became like, this is like actually just a real thing now. And so people might mistake this parody and joke for just like your average fucking Facebook user. Yeah, so it was a fun bit for a while, but then it became like, oh, eh, it's not like it's actually really appropriate to do this anymore. <laughs> no, no, pro- and, probably and to, not. Probably not. To be perfectly honest with you, I don't know that I could get into the voice anymore. It would be hard for me to do it. 
I, I was wondering that too, because it is a kind of a very unique affect on the voice. Um, I kind of, I wouldn't even want you to, because like, I feel like it, it was like a guttural kind of, like you had to like really lean into it. I kind of, I don't think we have the energy this year, Jake. No one has no. the energy to, to put ourselves there. He may come back years down the road if our country is able to rectify its direction in any way. Yeah. But for yeah. now, I think yeah. he is just like off somewhere enjoying shit. Like he's like, dude, honestly, he's in his glory right now. Dude, he's going out to bars and like every night. He's not wearing a mask. No, 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 no. He thinks that's no. that's beyond he's stupid. He's taking hydroxychloroquine. He's like he's taking all these experimental things. He buys in. Yep. Um, let's talk about some some real news, some sad news actually, Jake. Um, Eddie Van Halen. We got word that he died um, today. No, yesterday. Yeah. Yesterday, as, as of this recording. Um, I guess he was battling cancer, and um, I, I did not know that. I didn't. Maybe I did hear, but I didn't know how sick he was. And then we got the news yesterday that he died. Um, when you texted me this, it, I was kind of, I, I kind of met the news with just like a numbed sort of like, okay, there's another person who's died this year. Here's another piece yeah. of terrible news this year. Um, and actually, I was sort of relieved that it wasn't COVID related. Same. Um, even though, you know, cancer is not the way you, you want to be going. But, yeah, what, what are your thoughts? I, I don't think I've really processed this or really thought through much. Um, my relationship with Van Halen's music was sort of like I listened in high school when I was like, yeah, I care more about classic rock, but now don't really care. I guess that first album's still very good. Um, but what, what, what were your thoughts here? So, yeah, I mean, obviously it's very sad and he's, he's definitely a legend. My relationship is similar where I actually never really had a phase where I listened to Van Halen albums, but Van Halen um, for me as a band was one where when I would have classic rock radio on in high school, cause I just didn't have a better way of listening to stuff in the car really, except like an album. But like when, when we'd have the radio on, if a Van Halen song came on, I was, I was relatively happy. That was like a solid you know, uh, thing to have come on. And I, I was, I never got way into them. They were a little too in that kind of schlocky borderline hair metal era for me. However, I think Stephen Hyden put it best on Twitter where he basically noted that Eddie Van Halen was, was a legitimate virtuoso, like a true yeah. gifted musician who was like, like he, he's an upper echelon guitar player who, you know, He's just one of those dudes. He's a one top one percenter as far as ability to play yeah. guitar. But he made a great point where he was like a lot of these shredders, a lot of these dudes who are just like virtuosos were nowhere near as fun as Van Halen. And it's a really good point because Van Halen's great music point. never felt beholden to Eddie's playing. I mean, I, I went back, I listened I, a little bit to just some of my favorites. One of my favorites by them, for whatever reason, has always been Dance the Night Away. I just think it's a nice song. And it's yeah. Like, oh, oh, yeah. That's, that's way up there for me. And it's, and it's like, you know, I listened to Running with the Devil. I listened to Eruption, and you really got me. And uh, yeah. I, 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 I uh, ain't, ain't Talking About Love is one of my favorites. That's always been up there for me. And like, I'm sick. I even like the obvious ones. Like I like Janie, uh, Jamie, Janie's crying. I like, uh, I like Panama a lot. Jump, Jump is good. Panama's amazing. Panama's yeah. sick. And so I think it was Stephen Hyden who said this, so attributing this to the source, but 
he was a guy who could play anything, literally, was truly gifted, but he did it without any pretension. And, it, and Van Halen's music was really fun. And like, yeah. and I, I respect that Van Halen's this band that I've always held a bit of a remove, but I have no disdain for them. I don't dislike them in any way. Right. And there's a handful of songs, like 10 songs, where I'm like, fuck yeah, I'm always down to hear those songs. They, I, I actually did spend some time with their first few albums, the David Lee Roth albums. I, I made an effort to seek out and listen to. Um, that first album, the self-titled, is very good. That's actually the only one I would really feel good about recommending you listen to front to back. They are sort of the all-time like classic rock greatest hits in a way, where it's like. Actually, they have a ton of good songs. I almost never want to listen to one of their albums front to back, though. Um, the, 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 you're absolutely right about the, the fun aspect of it. And I saw something on Twitter about how someone was like, I met Eddie Van Halen once, and I was like, hey, I love your work. And he's like, thanks, brother, but it's not, it's not work, it's play. And, and it's just like that. I, I love that. Like, that's awesome. They, they are kind of a band in their own lane, too, where – they they epitomize some of like to me they remind me of bands from the mid to early 70s like Aerosmith you know what i mean like those types of bands but like they're kind of this bridge between those bands and hair metal but they also just kind of do their own thing like van halen's guitar tone like the way his guitar sounds Mm. is instantly recognizable very much its own thing and it's an amazing sound. It's really cool. And it's like, it's his own distinct flavor. And can I say his guitar, his like signature, like, I think it's like the Frankenstein guitar or whatever yeah. that like he kind of built himself with like all the fucking lines on it. Like the design, that guitar is sick. That's iconic shit right there. It's truly iconic. And it's like, dude, I was just, I watched this live version of Eruption and it's fucking nuts to watch. Like it, it, it's not yeah. totally my thing, but it's right. unbelievable to see someone do that. Yeah. You're still kind of like, wow. Like, even though this isn't, you know, my favorite, I still really, really respect it. And I get it. Didn't he invent like finger tapping? I think he definitely popularized it. I mean, I'm sure it existed yeah. as a technique, but I think. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think he probably popularized it, but um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's sad. It, it's, um, it, but it was an interesting kind of like, I just took a little bit of time where I was like, I'm going to listen to just like five of my favorite Van Halen songs and just like kind of remember. Cause you know, yeah. uh, Van Halen is just like this kind of cool band in their own lane. And they, they did kind of this interesting thing. They inspired a shit ton of bands. They're a pretty big influence on a lot of mu- music. Um, and yeah. I, res- no, I respect the hell out of him. So it's, it, it is sad to, to, that he's gone. I mean, pretty young too, 65, you know, it's not, it's not exactly yeah. young, but it's, it's, you know, you'd expect him to live longer. Right. Yeah. That's very true. Very true. Yeah. Sad news in a, in a sad year. Um, Jake, let's dive in though to this new Fleet Foxes album. Um, this was a very pleasant surprise uh, in the midst of the darkness of this year. Getting news that a new Fleet Foxes album was coming out uh, was a, a welcome respite. So this album, sure, came out, um, get this, Jake, on the Autumn Equinox, yeah. which is one of the most Fleet Foxes things you can possibly imagine. Like, of course, I'm, I can't believe every single one of their albums hasn't come out on the Autumn 
equinox. So, um, but I think that's like it's obvious, but I, I kind of love it. I'm like, yeah, you do that, Robin. They literally. Uh, so I, I watched today, and I'm sure I'll reference tidbits from it throughout our discussion of it. But I, he did a full hour long interview with the Needle Drop with Anthony Fantano, and really, it's actually worth watching. It's pretty interesting, and and wow, and that's in cool. it, um. He talked about how over the summer he grinded for hours. Like he'd have twelve-hour days. He put in so much time because for for the like to release it on this date. He really wanted to. He had oh. the deadline of September eighth so that it could be released on September twenty-second. Like he had that in in mind the whole time, and like it kind of grinded to get there. Wow, that's really cool because the big narrative with Robin Pecknold coming off of that first record um, into Helplessness Blues was always sort of like, I got to follow up and I got to put out like, you know, the next masterpiece. And that was very much the case with Crack Up where he took some time off. That was always the thing where he's like, I was tinkering. I was kind of trying to perfect it. And Crack Up came out in 2017, um, which in a lot of ways feels like a long time ago. Um, I think just because of the craziness of this year, but by Fleet Fox's standards, a three-year gap in between album releases actually felt pretty quick. I, when I got the news that this was coming out, I was like, wow, already? Like, I'm actually, I'm a little surprised about that. Um, so that's really interesting. And I, I read something else that he said, the craziness of this year and sort of the, all the news that was going on this year gave him a different perspective on putting out this album. He's like, normally before I'd get really in my own head about it to get really anxious about it but because I could kind of separate that from everything else that was going on this year I realized like this really isn't that big of a deal in the grand scheme of things maybe just sort of put this out um so that's cool that he kind of gave himself that deadline and was able to say like you know what I'm gonna just work towards that and I'm gonna put it out and get it out there well and I think um that really is to the album's credit in a way uh is, is that he you know, and, and to listen to it, it's a pristinely produced album. I mean, like, this is literally... Oh, my God. Like, I mean, you would not guess that. If you just heard this in a vacuum, not as part of Fleet Fox's catalog, you wouldn't really see it as anything that's underproduced or, like, that was rushed. It sounds amazing. Um, oh and I God, think yeah. another thing that lends to this album having kind of a different character is that it's it's none of the members of Fleet Foxes except Robin Pecknold are, I think, even on this album. If you look at the personnel, yeah, it's him and all a bunch of collaborators from other projects. Christopher Bear from Grizzly Bear plays some drums, mm-hmm. um, and I think it gives the album a really different flavor because it just doesn't sound like the way Fleet Foxes the band would have played these songs. It sounds like different people playing on a Fleet Foxes album, and it, I think that's an interesting angle to it. I agree. And this album, more than anyone in the past, feels like Fleet Foxes is turning into like a Robin Pecknold solo project in a way, where before it did feel maybe a little more collaborative or like a full band, even though it was kind of always Robin Pecknold's, you know, he's the main driver. Now it really just, it's like, yeah, okay, Fleet Foxes and Robin Pecknold are basically synonymous um, in the way that maybe, you know, Father John Misty and Josh Tillman are synonymous, former band member. Um, But yeah, I think that's really interesting. And I think the headline here for me with this album is it's definitely Fleet Foxes, 
but it's different. Um, and what I mean by that is I, I feel like, especially compared to crack up, this is a little bit more accessible on the surface. I think the knock on crack up as good as it is it's a little overwrought and it's a little, it's a little aware of itself and trying to be something it's try. It feels like it's trying to be this difficult kind of complex album where sure kind of sheds any of that, um, self-consciousness about it. Um, and I think there's a freedom and a lightness on here um, and an accessibility that was not there on Crack Up and maybe wasn't even there on some of the, the earlier albums either. I don't know. What do you think about that? I totally agree with you. And in that interview, here we go. It's paying dividends already. Um, Hell yeah. So Doing the that, homework. Yeah, like exactly. In that interview, um, Robin talked a lot about, they had a conversation about like, what do you think of music critics? Do you value the music critic praise over fan praise? Like, where do you stand with that? And he didn't really answer that question directly, but he spoke to the fact that growing up, he what he was into music critics. Like he was kind of like a dude like me or you, where he was like really valued that and, um, and took a lot of stock in like what music critics thought. Mm -hmm. And like, I think you can tell that that is the case from their catalog. I mean, if there's a knock on Fleet yeah. Foxes and you're not really going to hear one from either of us, because I think we're both like pretty huge fanboys of their work. Yes. But if, there, <laughs> yeah. if, if there's a knock to be had, it is what you said, which is that it is at times overwrought and a little aware of what it's trying to be. It sometimes comes across as like a little too intentionally literary or too kind of lyrically mm -hmm. hard to penetrate. The, this album, like you said, sheds a lot of that like the lyrics on this there are some where i'm like oh i actually know what the fuck he's talking about like i and i, I and i can immediately relate to it and i'm like yeah man like i'm feeling that or like i i get what you're saying here where crack up dude there's many lyrics on crack up where i'm like i don't know what this means i think it sounds cool i think it sounds great but i don't really know what you're talking about exactly and i think that that it's it, in that way it's a very interesting follow-up to crack up because i think musically it is definitely, it's, it's a level more accessible than Crack Up, but I still think it's more complex than it sounds to people. A lot of this shit is very mm -hmm. oh, hard. Oh, yeah. Robin Pecknold is, he seems very interested in like, what's, the, it's a, either the last track or the second to last where he has that sample of Brian Wilson counting in four, and then he has his producer counting one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three, over Brian Wilson counting the one, two, three, four. Like that, all that, that's polyrhythm shit. Like he's doing like, that's a count of three over four, which is a very complex musical thing to pull off. And like, mm. he's doing interesting shit and like the way instruments get layered and we'll get into all of that. But my point that I was really trying to make is that I lyrically and in terms of the way he's singing it, it does feel more wide eyed and optimistic and just kind of like not first thought, best thought. I don't think he'd ever be someone who never edits his lyrics, but he's uh, it's right. definitely like maybe second or third draft is fine on the lyrics. That's you know? a great point. Yeah, yeah, that's a really good point. Um, before we move on to, to some of the, the songs in more detail um, or the music, I, I wanted to return to that idea of Crack Up in 2017 coming out, and now it's 2020. And like I said, the grand scheme of things, maybe not much for a Fleet Foxes album or, or not a huge gap, but life and the world feel in insanely uh, removed from 2017 in a lot of ways. Um, 
and I had this thought of like, I bet we're going to look back at this time right before 2020 when all these things changed as sort of this blurry, hazy mess of memories. You mentioned you had something to, to sort of speak to with that in the pre-show uh, that you wanted to save for this. Do you remember what that is? So, yeah, I mean, with, can you hear me? All right. I got an internet connection unstable yeah. message. Oh no, you're good. You're good. Okay. Um, with well, what I wanted to say with relation to 2017 is that that's hit me with a bunch of different albums this year, a, a different understanding or a, what's it called? A better understanding. Deeper, the, deeper understanding. I got it wrong twice. There you go. Close. Yeah. A few different albums from 2017. I've gone back to this year and, and had active thoughts where I was like, this is real recent. This is like a pretty recent album. And it's, it's just three years ago. Uh, we are starting to enter the era of our life that we used to probably witness our parents go through where they'd be like, that was in like probably 94 or 98 or it was in that era. Like we are honest to God there. And like, it's only going to get worse yep. where it's just like clumps of years blur together where it's like, I honestly couldn't tell you the last four Christmases, which one was which, which one came first. Oh my God. Me, yeah, same. And we're going to, we will get to this point in 10, 15, 20 years where we'll be like, okay, so that was pre COVID. So that was uh, 17, 18. And we're not really going to know anymore. We're going to be like, yeah, pre COVID. Dude, pre COVID is go going to be this marker of life before, life after. Um, it's scary in a way to be like, we're only in the early days of this post COVID world post-COVID life that we're not even quite sure what that means yet, but we know we're just starting it. We're, dude, we're just in COVID right now. Scary. Yeah, yeah, exactly. There's something really scary about that, but that's, that's a really good point. And I think that will only happen more the older we get. Because more and more, I, I have, I'll have a memory from like 2016 or something or 2017. It feels, you know, in that kind of, confusing way very recent but also like a long time ago but it just like it feels like it just it just happened a minute ago and it's gone and it was like it, i know stuff happened in between but it's very hard to piece together all of it a long way past the past jake right um which is just a glorious segue back into the fleet foxes discussion by very well by done. me um thank you um <laughs> speaking of um, that is one of my favorite songs on this album, A Long Way Past the Past. You brought up a great point to me over text the other day, Jake, when we were uh, talking about this. The first half of this album, first six or so, seven songs, something like that, can't miss. It's, it comes out and it comes out hot. Not to say that it really loses much steam as it goes on, but in particular, I think songs like Sunblind, Can I Believe You, Featherweight, and a long way past the past are just wow. Like some of the best songs I think that Fleet Foxes has put out, in particular, Sunblind and Featherweight and A Long Way Past the Past. Those three I think stack up with any other Fleet Foxes song um, that they have put out. The the run from I guess it's Hara, not Jara. I, I, I didn't I was okay. and like knowing Robin Pecknold, I was like, honestly, the smart money is on the fact that it's known. Hara. But Mm -hmm. that that run from uh hara featherweight and a long way past the past all have an interesting musical quality to them that bring a little hook that's 
sort of unconventional, but that brings me back in Hara. It's those little vocals, those oohs that kind of like are layered in there yep. that begin and end the song. Featherweight, it's that cool kind of jazzy improv piano bit that's that runs throughout the yep. song. And then oh, cool. long, way, long Way Past the Past, which is my favorite track on the album, it's those really bouncy horns after, mm. like in the kind of like the chorus. Yeah. They kind of like bump, 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 They do that kind of bouncing effect. I'm so interested yep. in how they recorded those because they sound so fucking cool. Um, I love that stretch I, of the album, though. I totally agree. I have to say, the so by Fleet Fox's standards, I think some of these songs at first sound a little more accessible and a little more like, okay, yeah, I can, like Sunblind, you can just dive right into Sunblind. Like, you're like, okay, this is as straightforward of a song as you have ever put out, Robin Pecknold. But on repeat listens, and this is why I think this album is so good and so rewarding and is actually probably at this point, maybe my favorite album of the year, um, is you really can pick up on the detail and the layers and what they're doing with the arrangements here. And what I've started to do with, with my most recent listens is just try to pick out like one guitar line or, or one just layer in the song and just listen. And every one of them that I've picked out to listen to is just next level. And in particular, I think on um, Can I Believe You Hit Me Today, where I'm like, these guitars are just awesome. Yeah. Like, they're just crashing in. They sound so good. And then on Young Man's Game was another one where I'm just like, these guitars sound pristine. Like, this is exactly what you want guitar to sound like on a song like this. And, and I like to at the beginning of Young Man's Game where like you can kind of hear in the background, the guy go, perfect. And, the, and it's yeah. burn, 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 and you're just like, wow, like, yep, all right. So I have to say like, yes, on the surface, you can be like, oh, these are some nice folk songs. You're not looking deep enough here and go back and listen and be like, wow, there's actually a lot of craftsmanship going on with this record. So someone I talked to about this album who had only listened once, um, a complaint that I heard about it that after one listen I could maybe have agreed with, but then ultimately knew I wouldn't was that it kind of is so cleanly produced that it kind of came in one ear out the other and felt like nothing much really happened. Now I totally disagree. I think with that's that. lazy listening to be, I, I think that's lazy listening. I, I, I understand it. I very much disagree with it. Me too. And so I'm, I'm not saying I agree with that take. I'm saying that I think what that overlooks is um, the the vision that, that Robin Pecknold has kind of like brought to bear on this album is actually incredible. And, and he did it on Crack Up too, where he's drawing from so many different influences and pulling off mm -hmm. really interesting and complex musical things that are like, and production things that are really truly next level. And the fact that it sounds so clean is a product of that. Like he's not, these are not easy songs to record. Like the things he's doing and have them sound as well as they are. Like all the, the weird pianos, the weird horns and the, the, dip, the, the textured vocals that are layered in and sound just like perfect. Yeah. I think like the stretch yep. on the, the latter half of the album from, uh, let me see here. The, um, going to the sun road and I think it's Thymia or, or Thymia, mm -hmm. but I think he sings it Thymia, um, cradling mm -hmm. mother, cradling woman. Those songs are like very interesting. And, and the way the, the voices are layered, like I think this album is structured in a really interesting way because I think 
the first six songs you, you don't miss in terms of just like, yep, this is like exact. It, it pulls you in so well with that first yeah, track right. and the, the female vocals and like it, it's just a nice welcoming little yep. drop into the album and it feels totally right. It's one of those albums that is sequenced so perfectly that when you finish it, you just, you can totally get right back on the slide and write it again. 100%. Absolutely. It, it is. And, and you know, it's interesting for a 15 song, 54 minute album. We've talked about this ad nauseum on this podcast, Jake, our favorite albums are not this long. Um, they're usually no more than like 45, 48 minutes. Ideally it's in the low forties or high thirties. That's our kind of sweet spot for a tight album this looking at it you're like ooh, 15 songs 54 minutes there's not a, a there's no fat on this album i wouldn't take off a single song um i think it's sequenced perfectly too that is not easy to say for an album as complex as this one is or as long as this one is 15 tracks to say there's no Hello. Are we still recording? I lost you for a I second. Can you hear me? I can see your video again. I cannot hear you, Jake. How about now? Jake has left. There we go. There it is. There he is. You can hear me? Yes. Okay. Maybe shut off your video. I've been okay. I shut mine off. I I've been getting my internet's been so fucked lately, dude. Um, Mine has too. I actually think everyone's has because of the amount of people using their home networks for work and stuff like that. I, I think the system is taxed right now. Comcast has been no help either, but that's what you get from Monopoly. Um, yep. I, I didn't hear your last point and I just will leave it because I assume it recorded. So I'm going to assume listeners heard your last point. What, the, what I was going to say is kind of um, possibly not related to what you said. Uh, the song I'm Not My Season is a, is a steady highlight for me every time I listen through. Um, yes. That, one, me, I, that song's beautiful. To me, it is akin to, and I actually prefer it to, a song like um, uh, If You Need to Keep Time on Me. I thought the same thing about I'm Not My Season. I was like, huh, this is like If You Need to Keep Time on Me, but better. I think it's better. You know what's crazy about If You Need to Keep Time on Me? It is not at all one of my favorite Fleet Foxes songs. Do you know it's like their most listened to song? Um, like on Spotify. Yeah, you, what is it? If You Need to Keep Time on Me is one of their most listened oh, to songs. Oh, it is? Yeah. That's weird. You know, I always assume that it gets into like the uh, the playlist algorithm thing and it just tumbles yeah. through multiple playlists. Like if I see one like that, I'm like, oh, that must have ended up on like a, a, a chill folk playlist or something like that, you know? I think that's what it is because it's like, I, I think a song, so, go ahead. I, no, you, you finished because I wanted to talk a little bit more about like Fleet Foxes in like, contextualize them now that this album has come out but 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 finish i was just gonna say that i think i'm not my season is a better version of that song and i i, I think i like the lyric better i like the way it's performed a little yep. bit better too i think his voice sounds like pretty perfect on it actually that's the other thing yeah. about this album is i think robin is singing better than ever before and it's like it, it, maybe this style of singing 
didn't it wouldn't have fit as much on the first couple albums because he's singing ah, that's like, true like on it on a song like can i believe you that's a song i was gonna like, say can i believe you is an excellent vocal performance by him it's like it it, it sounds like almost like a spiritual song like it's so yeah. prist- it's sung in this way that it sounds like it's like he's singing to a god or something like it's 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 actually like kind of yeah. crazy um and I think um, there's there's a moment on Sunblind where uh, it's getting to the end and he's like, um, in your rarefied air, I feel sunblind. And he like double layers the vocals and it's like two Robin Pecknold singing yeah. in that like full throated voice. It just, it's awesome. He has a, a, a truly powerful voice and it, and it begs the question, and this is a tangent, but like who in this era... Of, of of music has a more powerful singing voice than Robin Pecknold. I I, I mean it would be we'd have to really think about it, but I'm trying to think if there's another singer who has a voice that's sort of more distinctive and maybe more powerful for what it's doing. Yeah, I mean it's interesting because I think a lot of indie music has kind of hung its hat on being like sad and sort of downplaying the vocal, and it's a lot of like. Like there's great bands and, and, and great uh, singers out there who kind of have weak voices. Yeah. Um, it, like like for example, like not that uh, Matt Berninger has a weak voice. Like I would never categorize it that way. But it's I wouldn't call it as powerful as no. Pecknold. No, you know? like, he throws one. They both one serve speed. their purposes. Exactly. Exactly. But yeah, it's an interesting question, and I think I, I would have to I would have to think about it. I, I think honestly you'd have to look at some like loud rock bands to be like, who can kind of match for, for the power of his voice. That's what I'm saying is that I think that's why I kind of brought it up because I think he's a singer who's a little out of his time in the way where he actually has like a really pretty incredible range and and a very potent voice. Um, In a way you don't hear a lot in, 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 in indie to your point. It's almost like in a weird way, it's like the, folk chris cornell <laughs> yeah yeah it's also like like that like that like that's an exaggeration but it's i mean if you if you're talking about just powerful voice in his genre i don't know like what other folk singers are out there that are i don't know about even someone like father john misty josh tillman who has a great voice he really I does don't i don't know if he I don't know. That's actually an interesting conversation. Like who has the better voice there or, or who has the more like kind of command. I think what, what Robin has working against him is in his delivery. He has this kind of a slightly nasally reedy delivery that I think yeah. can, can like great on probably some listeners a little bit. If I were to guess, I think father yeah. John's voice is like father John Misty's Richter. voice is the voice that just any random dude would hope to have. If you just could sing yeah. anyway. It would yes. be like the way yep. Josh Tillman sings. Yeah, that's that's pretty spot on. Um, yeah, but speaking of Fleet Foxes in sort of context like this, um, I I had a chance to listen to almost their entire discography on a drive up to the White Mountains over this last weekend. Um, I actually listened to this order, Jake, that I that um, I played their discography in. I started with Helplessness Blues. I really oh, had an urge wow. to listen to that. So I started with Helplessness Blues. Then I went to Crack Up. Then I went to 
Sun Giant. Then I went to Shore. And I actually, interestingly enough, did not go back to their self-titled album. That was oh, wow. the only one I didn't get around to, which, and I, I kind of wanted to open this up um, after this takeaway. I think I have a good sense of what my favorite Fleet Foxes albums are now. I wanted to see if you did too, post Shore. Like if you had a sense of where that kind of fits in and how you're feeling about the rest of the Fleet Fox discography. Well, I think that it's a really, really hard question for me to answer because it's strange because in a way the discography holds together really nicely as a body of work and it makes sense to tr you can track the, the sort of trajectory of it in a way that makes some logical sense that they progressed but they it sounds like the same band in many ways i think shore is the one that pushes that the furthest to the limit um what's difficult is that those early albums the especially the self-titled and sun giant are so caught up in nostalgia for me and in the mystique yeah. that this band had. Um, we've often talked about the experience of seeing them live for the first time and having the veneer of what we pictured Fleet Foxes to be kind of uh, shattered. Not in a necessarily yeah. terrible way, but in a way where it removed some of the mystique. So a ranking of their discography for me is actually incredibly difficult because of that kind of pre and post veneer thing that's going on where mm. I think they've released music that is just as impactful and interesting to me. Like we talked, I talked about how I watched an interview with Robin Pecknold today. Like I know more about him than I've ever known at this we may point. have lost Jake again, listeners. I'm, I'm agreeing with everything he's saying here. I think it's all spot on. Um, oh, damn. Can you hear me now? But I think we may have lost. How about now? Nostalgic feel. I actually would agree with that. And I think it is challenging to compare both of those with these new ones. And I think where Jake was going, and I do agree, is Shore and Crack Up also have an impact in the way that the first two records did, but in a totally different way. Um, and that's, I think, partly why the discography ends up being so strong is, yeah, you have the, the nostalgia factor of the self-titled and Helpless is Blues. Um, but when they, by the time they came back with Crack Up, that, it had been a while. It had been six years since Helpless is Blues came out. And I personally remember being a little bit low on Fleet Foxes at the time. Being like, oh, yeah, like, you know two two really good albums but you know it's a it's a what have you done for me lately league and um you know it, it just it wasn't really the case can um, you hear me so now now i can hear you jake i, I, I just ripped for a solid I, couple minutes there. i heard most of it i i dropped completely out which is bullshit what's the last thing you heard me say um you were talking about how the first two records are their own thing and there's so much nostalgia caught up with those that it ends up being difficult to compare with the new ones and i was saying on my little riff there i, I actually totally agree with that where fleet foxes by the time crack up came out like 
I remember being a little bit lower on them. And, and, and they kind of had to win me back over with crack up in a way. I know that sounds crazy now, but there's definitely two definitive eras of fleet boxes that I, that does make it hard to sort of rank or compare the discography. Yeah, no, that, that was the gist of my point. I totally agree. Um, and so yeah. I, I, so to rank them would be very difficult, but it sounds to me like you have a ranking in mind. I think I do. I think I do. And this is a very much an in the moment ranking. So take this with a grain of salt. Um, he, here it is. Number one, I think I'm still going with the self-titled and it's for the reasons you just said, there's so much nostalgia wrapped up in there. There's so much mystique. Um, I can still tap into that feeling when I listen to that album, if I want to. And I'm going to be honest, part of the reason why I didn't put it on during that car ride I just talked about is I wasn't in the headspace to try and tap into it. Um, and I didn't really want to at that time. So I was like, I'm going to hold off here. It's like almost too special for me to always listen all the time, but I think it's still my number one. Um, number two. Now, hold on. As a, as a, might as be a, little, a, as a yeah. clarification point, you're not lumping in sun giant to the self-titled or you are lumping it in. Um, uh, you know what? I will, I will lump that in. Cause I, I, I think they're so closely tied. It's hard to not lump them. And honestly, if I were to, I think sun giant is too slight on its own where it would probably by default have to be last. Right. Because it's so yes, I will lump it in with the self title that puts it over the top to number one. If it was just on its own, I think I would have to put it last because it's just too slight. Okay. But that's a good question. That's a really good question. Um, my number two, and this might come as a little bit of a surprise, I think I'm putting sure. I, I really mm. do. I have I, taken to this album. I love it. I, I've just been having such a good little phase with it here. Um, and this is why I say kind of take it with a grain of salt, because it's going up against a decade almost of Helplessness Blues uh, listening. So that's really, really difficult. Um, I am putting Helplessness Blues a very close third, though. I think there's a couple songs on there that end up being not forgettable or not bad, but, like, I don't know. Are, are, are you chomping at the bit, Jake, to listen to, like, Battery Kinsey all the time? No, not necessarily. There, and so there were, I noticed on this last re-listen, I was like, okay, the highs are incredibly high. Um, but there are a couple songs where I'm like, you, it doesn't have the same mystique as the first record, but they're not, they're, they're kind of not the strongest when they stand on their own here. Okay. So I, I, for that reason, I let Shore, I think Shore's, the, I think it's tighter. I think it's more consistent than Helplessness Blues is, even though the highs might be still higher on Helplessness Blues. Um, and then my last full album ranking, I'm going to put Crack Up as good as it is. Um, I find it it was hard to penetrate initially when I finally broke through. I was like, all right, I, I actually love this. I really get it. But look, a great album like crack up going up against hall of famers and all timers, like the other three I just mentioned, it's kind of going to just be defaulted to number four. Um, even though it's still excellent, I kind of have to put it there. So um, what are your, what are your reactions, Jake? So I, I made a quick ranking listening to you and I, it, it's really, really hard. I think I actually diverge from you a little bit. I think I go, so self-titled and Sun Giant 1. 
Mm-hmm. Number two, I think I actually have Crack Up 2, which might seem crazy. Wow. But I, I really, love, no, I love it. I love it. I really love that album, kind of for its flaws even, like the, the almost, almost like self-indulgent complexity of it. Um, yeah. I, I just listen to it so much, and I actually do still go back to it. Um, I think it's really I rewarding. Too, yeah. I, I think I think I agree, and that, that's what's so hard about ranking these. Though, it's know? almost impossible, and this is where I think it gets controversial. I think I have Shore third. I think I have Helplessness fourth. Wow! Wow! Which, which is very recency bias, and I could see a version of this ranking that goes almost any way with those next three below the self-titled. Yeah. Um, yeah. Based on what I've listened and, and to honestly, most recently. Day, that's how I am too. It's. Catch me tomorrow. Maybe I have crack up over helplessness blues. You know, like it. That's the thing. They're all very close. Um, so maybe not as controversial as as you would think. Yeah, it, it's tough. I think the thing with helplessness blues is it's an album in their discography. It is for whatever reason the one I am most reluctant to put on. And that's ultimately just what it comes yep. down to. And I actually don't really totally know why, because I love it. And every time I listen, I love it. Um, but somehow or other... I'll tell you why. It's the reason I just said there's a couple songs on there where you don't want to admit it, but you're like, this just... This is it, uh, like some of their weakest songs. That's fair. Yeah, and it feels like like even on a song like... Um, a shrine the argument like there were lyrics on it that i never quite like the apples lyrics and stuff i was always like ah lyric yep lyrically that's a little bit maybe some weaker stuff from them there yep like what are we doing with the apple tree lyric (laughs) no i i I do agree with that and i wish he went for it a little bit more on that song i love the um sunshine over me no matter what i do like when he's really like going for it vocally um i I wish he did a little bit more of that on that song. Um, I do think that's the beginning of him. He, it's like he wants to do that prog folk that he's doing on Crack Up, but he's yeah. not quite there yet. So, and you're like, okay, like you're on to something. You're moving away from the pastoral sounds of that first record in Sun Giant. You're getting into something else that I think he would really embody on Crack Up, but he's just not there yet on some yeah. of the songs on Helpless's Blues. And that's the interesting thing about their discography too, because I would argue that Crack Up and Shore are basically not folk albums, honestly. They, well, they don't have. Like they, they are and they aren't. They're they're using the the tools that folk uses and recontextualizing them. Like sure, they're using those sounds and and I think like putting them out there in a way that we haven't really heard before. But the, the reference well, points are all still there. Exactly. And that's why I say it's like, it's almost borderline, not even folk music. It's so lushly produced and so yep. massive in its sound. I think especially Shore is so yep. like, it's, it's not, it's not really rock. It's not really, it's kind of very difficult to put a finger on with folk. And I think that because of the way they started with those first couple records, like they just, that's like the easiest thing to call them. But I think it's, it's tough to really right. call this a folk album in a way, but I, I, I'm not disagreeing with you. I'm just saying like, I think it's interesting to, to try to even define what they sound like now. Yeah, no, that's a really good point. Um, yeah, that's interesting. 
But, um, I, you know, and, and hey, I'm, I'm sitting here criticizing Helplessness Blues and saying there's weak tracks on it. It's an album I love, and I love every track on it. But, um, yeah, I, I mean, it's still, I, I'm, I'm saying, yeah, there's some weak stuff, but it's, it's still one of my favorite albums of all time. And that goes for all of these. And, again, ranking them is, is get this, Jake, a fool's errand in a Ooh. lot of ways. I, I, yeah, it is. It's a young man's game, Sean, to try doing that. It's, it, it really is, actually. It is a young man's game. And I, I will say, someone who has historically loved ranking things, I don't know if it's COVID, I don't know if it's 2020, I don't know if it's getting older, I do have less energy and interest in, in the rankings. Yeah, same here. And like we, this is a, a tangent, but uh, The Ringer put out that Radiohead songs ranking. Um, yeah. I didn't even finish reading it. I was just like, ah. Oh, God. No, dude, I, I blasted through it. I was just like, all right, I'm going to like super fast skim. And like, that's all I, I needed from it, you know, just because it's like, it doesn't matter. They have great songs. They're all very good. There's some that are going to be too low. There's some that are going to be too high. There's some that are going to be like, yep, they got that right. And that's exactly what it was. Yeah. What did they have at number one? Oh, Paranoid Android, right? Paranoid Android. Yeah. What was number two? Do you remember? Like, of course. Uh, Idiotech. I like that, actually. An amazing song. Yeah. I, amazing, I, amazing song. Um, very, very appropriate for the moment we're in. As I well. got to say, I, so and this is not to go too far afield from Fleet Foxes, but I did have a, like maybe one of my best listens to Kid A in years the other day. Oh, I actually had a very good listen as well to Kid A. 20th anniversary shout out. Yeah, and I got the, the Stephen Hyden book about Kid A delivered, and so I was just like in kind of a mood. I haven't read it yet, but... Um, let, let me know how that is when you read it. So here's, here's a confession. You know, his last book, Twilight of the Gods, yeah, you didn't read it, right? I cracked it back. Ah, this was this must have been over a year ago, and I had just got done reading another book, and the other book was like, I think it was a little more difficult, or it was like a little more just it made me think a little bit more. And I cracked Twilight of the Gods, and I think I read the first chapter, and I was just like, I am not feeling this at all. I was like, this is like. Uh, like I thought the writing wasn't great and I was just like, I actually couldn't be less interested in this topic right now from Stephen Hyden with this. Like it felt too basic. It was just like, I'm going to sort of, I, I don't know. I, I, yeah. I need to go back. I wasn't in the right place. And I was just like, I really don't want to read this right now. And I think this Radiohead book will actually be great. Yeah. Um, but I didn't immediately buy it because of the last book. Yeah, I think Twilight of the Gods I liked less than your favorite band is killing me for sure. I blasted. Yeah, I really like your favorite band is killing me. Yeah, I blasted through it. I read it real quick, and I, to be honest with you, don't remember it all that well. I think it was kind of like a bunch of essays about just classic rock bands, and it, it was good. Yeah, it was it felt like a love letter to classic rock, and I was not in the mood for that. No, I don't blame you at all. I I, I totally get that. And when you yeah. follow music writers on Twitter and through their podcasts, it can make you a little cynical to that whole thing because the books is just really like, it's how they ultimately make money, like real money. Yeah. Yep. Yep. It's true. It's true. And 
I don't know, the more you listen, the more you're like, ah, that's a recycled take, or like, I've heard that before, or like, this is nothing new, or like, yeah. I, I get a lot of this on Twitter already. Yeah, you know? like, I'll, yeah. I'll, so, I'll put it this I way. I'll put it this way. Twilight of the Gods is not a book you, you or I really need to read for the most part. That's what I got immediately. I was like, wait, I don't need to really waste my time reading this actually. Yeah, no, I think, I think that was a correct take. And there were definitely some yeah. interesting tidbits and, and, and I enjoyed it because it's, you know, it's Hayden and I like him, but yeah, no, you, you're not, you weren't wrong in that, in that appraisal. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah, that's good. But I would be interested in this Radiohead book. So let me know how it is. Uh, oh, if you we'll get do. a chance to read it. Cool. Um, well, that, I think I think we we hit on all the Fleet Foxes topics um, that we had. I, I want to fly through. I know this is a Fleet Foxes centric episode. I, I just want to mention a few of these other ones. I don't even have a ton to say other than I listened to them. Um, new Sufjan came out. Sufjan Stevens, The Ascension. Um, I actually I, I did like this. I, I've enjoyed it quite a bit. I've listened quite a few times. I think. Um, it's too long. Uh, there's some songs that those, there's like four or five songs that could be cut here. Uh, it's like an hour and 20 minutes, which is sheesh, dude. Um, however, <laughs> some of his best songs are on this record too. And I think, um, some of the, like the first four tracks are great. And then the last like three or four tracks are great. Uh, the Ascension is really, really good. Um, there's a couple others in there. Like I really like the singles too. So if you haven't listened, it is worth listening, but um, I think there's other Sufjan I'd like a little bit better if we're talking about it as a full album. That makes sense. I, I haven't listened yet and I'm going to have to, if we're going to have a more in-depth discussion about it at some point, um, yeah. but I, ju- I just didn't get to it. And it's like, it didn't pique my interest. Something about his lengthier albums. I'm just like, ah, I, I don't know if I have the, the attention span right now for this. For I, I know. I know I, I totally feel you on that. Um, there, the, there is some songs you'll like on it. Um, also, the Sylvan Esso album came out called Free Love. They're always worth a listen. They're fun to bop to. I, I guess I do have less time for that type of stuff, like sort of in that indie pop, dance indie pop uh, sort of arena. If I'm in the right mood, I like it. Much more of a playlist band for me, though, Man. than a full album band. There's a couple good thoughts on here, though, Jake. I put that this one on today and I just think it's like this sound has either just been done to death or I just am over it or something. But I just was like, it, it yeah. just felt like empty calories to me. And I like Sylvan So I, I should yeah. go back to it before I make that a stance, you know, but man, yeah. I just like, this did not make an impression. Yeah. There was a couple, there was a couple on there. I was like, yeah, that's good. I'd go back to that. I'd throw it on a playlist, but yeah, it was just, it was a lot of just, yeah, like, I, I know what this is. I'll listen to their older stuff if I want that. Um, but, yeah. Uh, how about this Tim Heidecker album, though, Jake? Yeah. Um, so, we had mentioned it, I think, on a previous podcast, Tim Heidecker. It's, it's actually his third album. This is the guy from Tim and Eric. He's the Tim wow. of Tim and Eric. Yeah. Um, and he's released two albums before. Um of like, like honestly, like self, you know, they're serious albums. They're real music albums. And he has a sense of humor, so it shines through a little bit. This, I think, is his best. Um, he collaborated heavily with Wiseblood on it. Um, and she right. sings harmony with him on almost every song. And it's, it's kind of this very, almost like a kind of homage musically to 70s and late 60s um, kind of California rock kind of sound. Yeah. Um, 
I think there's some really good songs on it. I think it's a, I think it's a really solid album. He did an AMA on Reddit the day it came out. Um, and I, 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 I was on the AMA. I asked one of the questions about the song little lamb that's on this, where I think it's, it's a really yeah. nice singing performance between him and wise blood. And, and he answered, he said that they double tracked them like Simon and Garfunkel used to do. And like, I think it sounds great. Cool. Um, did you have a chance to listen to it? I did. I did. I listened uh, once when it came out and I thought it was very pleasant. I love the harmonies on there. I, I think it's really cool that they teamed up for this album. Um, I think I did not go back just because of Sufjan and Fleet Fox is taking up more of my listening time. I think there was a couple songs on there too where, and this is always what I was worried about when, because I'd never really listened to Tim Heidecker before. Yeah. I was always like, is it going to be like almost too self-aware mm-hmm. or, or like tongue in cheek, a little bit jokey for me to really embrace it. Yeah. And I, I don't even think that this album's doing that. I think this is probably the most like, no, this is just a normal album that he's put out. Is that correct? That doesn't have sort of like a, yeah. a, a, spin to it well i mean honest honestly even in glendale and and what the brokenhearted do the previous albums like i i I, they they don't go for humor all that much i think the problem is 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 what you're speaking to and he's been interviewed about this and he's acknowledged it. it's like there's really no way for him to escape that impression that people have it's just it's kind of impossible and it's like his voice is almost like a dog whistle for laughing. It's just like, oh shit, like that's the that's that Tim guy from Tim and Eric. Yeah. Yeah. And I think even some of these songs are just so what they are as well. Like they're so in that 70s kind of California soft rock sound. Yeah. That maybe because of the association, I just my brain automatically goes like, this is not sincere. And, yeah. and even though he's talking about stuff on here that like is, and he's like really hitting on like real topics on some of these songs that I appreciate. There's, there was something on a couple of the tracks that are just like, I'm not feeling this, even yeah. though I, I, I liked other parts of it. No, I, I totally get that. I, I would expect that. I think from almost anyone listening to it, I think that like there's some real highlights on it. I think backwards is a highlight, nothing. Um, and I think that, property and little lamb are both really really good um but yeah Yeah. no that's in some ways he he probably will never overcome that that sort of obstacle about it like is it sincere is it what is it like is it tongue-in-cheek i've listened to a lot of interviews of his and his podcast and stuff and they're really just songs he wrote like and um you know i i I really enjoy it but i I could it's not going to be for everybody there's no way totally yeah but I can't, I can't appreciate it and really cool that Wise Blood teamed up. I actually think that's the thing that made me listen to this. Where I'm like, oh, like I, I actually do take this a little more seriously because she's on it in a weird way. And maybe that's, maybe that's not being fair to, to Tim Hijacker. No, well, she's... That was sort of how my brain operated here. She's a way heavier hitter, hitter in music. There's no question. Yeah. Like musically, yeah. she's she's got a you know she adds a lot. The last track, "Oh How We Drift Away," she just sings it. He wrote the words, she sings it. Right. It's incredible. It sounds like just a Wise Blood song. Right. Yeah, and that was like the highlight for me in a lot of ways. Of course, um, no, it's it's. But yeah, great. That, that's a that's a fair point. Yeah. 
Uh, quick one for you, Jake. 21 Savage put out Savage Mode 2. So this is the follow-up to his first mixtape, Savage Mode. Um, what's interesting is he teamed back up with Metro Boom in here, who kind of, they, they both broke onto the scene with Savage Mode. Um, this is fine. Fine to forgettable. Uh, they, they get Morgan Freeman to like narrate on this thing. It is oh, so man. aware of itself as like, hey, we're trying to like really do a follow-up to Savage Mode, which was kind of this surprise hit and like pretty actually like well-respected um, in, in, in hindsight, where this is just sort of like, yeah, like, okay. Some of it, it's, it's decent. I didn't hate any of it, but I really, I didn't love any of it either. It's just kind of there and I'm probably not going to go back to it and we can actually just move on. Yeah, I mean, I I haven't listened to this. I have nothing to add. Um, so, <laughs> so, Twenty-one. So the next one on this list is this Barty's Strange album, "Live Forever." I yeah. did get a chance to listen yeah. to it today. What What did you think about this? Hayden and Ian Cohen were hyping this big time on their most recent podcast. Yeah. So this 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 dude Barty's Strange has been getting a lot of uh, hype lately. I think he was on like. Uh, album of the week for Stereo Gum, I'm pretty sure. Got the best new music on Pitchfork. He got another like up and coming artist award or something like that. Um, I liked this. My first listen, I was sort of, because I had seen all the hype too. I was like, oh, this is going to be really good. And I listened and I don't think I was actually like prepared for what it was. Yeah, like, there's that's where I am right now. Like indie rock and rap. And I was like, whoa, I didn't know he was going to be like singing about like hanging out in the trap. And like, I was like, I wasn't like ready for that, you know? Yeah, um, yeah. So it threw me off on the first listen. I'll say this though. I've gone back a couple of times since then and it has really started to click in a way where I'm like, okay, I, I'm starting to get this now. There's a couple songs on here like Mustang and Boomer where I'm like, okay, these are like best tracks of the year. I do though think it's going to fall into that trap that happens with so many great debuts like this. I'm thinking of that Nilifer Yanya album. That wasn't even mm. a debut, but I, I don't know. I'm, where it's like a few really good songs that end up on an end of the year playlist, but actually maybe the album as a whole doesn't live up to the hype. That's the vibe I'm getting, even though there's parts I really like. That was, that was the vibe I got from a first listen to it. I'm, I'm going to withhold any real judgment. You know, because I, I did just listen once. I liked certain things about this, but I wasn't, you know, I wouldn't say I was like blown away by it, but it, he seems like he's somebody, his story's really good where he, he was like, you know, he just was in a career, right? And he decided to ditch that and, and follow music, which is really cool, super admirable. And, it, you know, I definitely liked a lot of what I heard. It just, uh, yeah, I need more time with it, I think, is the takeaway. Yeah, I, I do too. I do too. That's why I just wanted to put it in the quick hits. But um yeah, so an interesting collection of stuff, Jake. That kind of leads us to the end here where um, we have a few interesting ones on the release radar for October 9th. Have you been hearing much about this Touche Amore album, Lament? I, I um, guess it's supposed to be awesome. I've heard a few of the singles. A big friend of the pod, Kevin, has showed me a few of the singles, uh, and I've liked what I've heard. One of the songs, I don't remember the title at all, was one of the most accessible songs I've ever heard by them. And Julian Baker, I guess, sings huh. back up on it. Interesting. Very interesting. I have not heard any of the singles yet, but I have seen Ian Cohen really hyping this up on Twitter. 
Um, and it also got album of the week on stereo gum this week. So it's definitely on my radar. I will be checking it out. Oh, without a doubt. Um, excited for that one. Also, um, meat and potatoes, synth pop indie here, Jake, future islands coming back with as long as you are, where do you stand with future islands now? How hype are you getting for a new future islands album in 2020? Not hype. Pretty, pr- pretty, <laughs> not very. <laughs> no, honestly, like I, you know, there was a time and place in my life for this band. And, it, and I think that like, yep. they are a band that unless I'm proven otherwise, um, you know, they have a sound and like kind of where you come in on their discography, like where you start to gain interest is probably the album. You're just going <laughs> yep. like, you know, <laughs> yep, exactly. Um, exactly. and so for me, it's singles. I know people rave about the ones before. I think they're fine. But for me, singles is the album. Yep. Like everything since has been hmm, like, okay, some, some good yep. songs, but I, I, you know, I'm not hyped about a future islands album. I won't lie. No, I, I can't say I'm overly excited. I'm definitely going to listen just because of the, you know, the history. But my, my goal here will be, are there a couple good songs I can go back to? And sort of that's going to be it. Um, but yeah, I, I think you summed it up perfectly where the album you get in on them is your, your, your future islands. Um, last one, Mary Lattimore, uh, Silver Ladders. Uh, this is a harpist who has popped up over the years in a couple different places. Um, most uh, recently on that new Juliana Barwick album. Um, oh. She had a couple features where she was playing harp on there. I really liked that sound and I noted the name. And I think I've heard a couple other songs by her in other places that I've been like, huh, I need to, I need to do a, a dive here. And just so happens she's putting out a new album. Um, so I think I'm going to use this one as my launching pad into Mary Lattimore. Maybe get some relaxing heart music in my life. Um, so, nice. yeah, that, that's the release radar. That sounds, uh, you know, up uh, my alley for sure. I'm going to check that out, too. I had no, I'd never heard of her. Yeah, yeah. That's why uh, people keep coming back to the listening podcast. That's why they come to us for the release radar. Exactly. Yeah, that's that's all. <laughs> They come to us for the release radar. If we're a podcast that's now basically monthly. (laughs) (laughs) That's that's such a good point. And I'm only giving you what happens to be coming out in the week that we're recording. That's it. (laughs) And they're only the ones that I'm personally going to listen to. (laughs) Like there's other ones coming out that people are probably like, hey, but what about like this album? I'm like, nah, no, I'm listening to future islands. <laughs> <laughs> and the truth is, is like that album is probably one we'll totally just ignore and skip. <laughs> I know. I know. I'll listen once and be, and forget about it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh... Well, uh, another episode in the books, a couple slight technical difficulties, but honestly, dude, sure. like and who cares? It does not matter put that shit up live i I did solo radio sean for about one minute and it was really hard but i think we got past it we did yeah sorry about the technical glitches this has been happening to me every fucking day at work too which is a real pain in meetings and stuff but oh no it it happens to me all the time my internet just drops sometimes yeah it's a real pain in the ass yep yep it is well anyways thanks for listening everybody stay safe stay healthy uh (laughs) Maybe we'll talk to you again before the election, but maybe not. Stay safe. Thanks, everyone.
right, we are recording. We're on mic. Not as big a break on as last mic? time. No, no. Um, which is probably good since if we are ever looking back on this episode, October of 2020. Wow. And we're only seven days in. Um, the big news, Trump, <laughs> Trump has COVID. <laughs> Fucking moron. Um, it is crazy. Went to the hospital, claims he's fine, is, is making a big show of, of returning to the White House. You know, this is actually happening at a particularly interesting time. This dude could be dead within the week. <laughs> and we're like, we don't know. We're blissfully unaware. <laughs> it, it, it's truly crazy. And, and the, the extent to which he seems to willfully say and do everything the opposite of the way <laughs> being advised by like health professionals is it's actually like at a certain yep. point hilarious it's ridiculous dude his tweets you know do you know why he does that so he has this whole idea of like positive thinking oh yeah yeah, yeah. if if i think this and believe it enough i will will it into existence he like lives by this and i actually think the further out we get hopefully from his presidency hopefully this is only this nightmare only lasts another you know three months or whatever and he's gone forever but I think there's going to be a lot of looking back on, like, the psychology of Donald Trump and what drove him to be who he was and act the way that he acted. Um, there's going to be, like, a reckoning there, I think, in a way that we've only started to touch on now. Like, his niece or whatever, Mary Trump, like, put that book out. And that went a little bit into the family and why he is the way he is. But I think that's only going to continue to be analyzed um especially if we all survive this and and what has an individual like trump holding the position he has done to the psychology of the country because it it has just made truth feel like a a concept that doesn't exist in a public discourse kind of way you know what i mean like in a way Uh where like it, it, it where like it exists but it functionally may as well not because people just have two different versions of truth and he actively at every turn looks to subvert truth and kind of turn it to his own uh you may bend it to his will basically that is spot on and i think we're all poisoned in a way from these last four years like obviously the people who support support him still i think there's like there's something wrong with them like something has gone wrong where like, and that could be anything, it, a lot of different things, and it's different reasons for different people. But um, even people who are like, I don't believe any of this shit, we are still poisoned in a way. Um, yeah, man. And, uh, because people this, is immediately, good. this is not good for our future. No, it's not. And people immediately turned to, even though in many ways the Republican party has become the party of conspiracy theory and, and kind of shilling them out because it benefits them politically. It didn't take much for the left to go to conspiracy land on Trump or people like he doesn't have it. He's doing it just for political, his political benefit. This is the world we live in now. This is how we all operate. And in my head for me, I was like, well, wait, does he have it? Like maybe he doesn't like, what if this is just that? Cause it's like, I don't think he's above any tactic. 
No, me. Oh, me either. Me either. The thing is, I think he's just what we need to remind ourselves is he's a fucking idiot. And the people who he has working for him are maybe even stupider. So, like, they're not able to concoct any grand master plan here. Like, they're falling ass backwards into mistake after mistake that is their own making and undoing. Like, all he had to do, look no further than just the reaction to any of this. He could have been like, yep, we're going to get through this together. He, dude, he'd be riding a wave of country unity uh, on the way to a second term if he just even put forth like 15% effort into this. Yeah, it was pretty obvious how he should have played it politically. And like he probably would have won support rather than lost it. Absolutely. It's, it just is, it's so bizarre. And it's such weird timing where... I mean, like, if he worsens, even though I, I was reading today, I guess he's been symptom-free for two days or something, which is, you know... I don't believe any of that. Well, that's the thing. And this is what I'm saying Dude, about... No, I, I, think, I think he's actually not doing great. Well, this, and th- here's what I'm saying, is that we can't trust anything. No. You know what I mean? Like that's We're a re- flying blind. We actually, we have no idea. And we won't have an idea probably until, like, next week. Because what I've been reading especially in cases like his where he's been hit with all these uh, steroids and shit. It's not actually the early days that get you like usually people will respond well at first and then it like, it'll come back with a vengeance. It'll be even worse than it was. He, so like when they're, they've been hinting they're like, Oh, and we don't think he's fully out of the woods yet. Like that's what they're talking about. They're like, actually the worst part of this is, is later. Yeah. Yep. Herman Cain, it took him like a month. over a month to die. So like, I don't know. So in theory, still, what we could be looking at is like election week. I know. If Trump were to succumb to this illness and fall either, mm-hmm. you know, to be mortally sick or die, it would probably yep. happen right at election time. Dude, can you imagine the conspiracies that would come out then. Oh, I dude. mean, either way, like they're rampant, but can you imagine, like that would be a disaster. I mean, people are already thinking them up. You know, they are the people who oh, yeah, shill absolutely. them out. People already have a conspiracy yeah. oh, ready for that. Yep. It's, yep. it's, it's, it's going to be wild. We're, we're just continuing at a breakneck speed to some conclusion here. I don't know. Honestly, I don't know what it is. It, like anything could happen over this next month. I will I'll probably end up being surprised, but I won't be surprised. Do you know what I mean? Like, it feels like we're, we're, we're about to hit something like things are happening every single week that are fucking insane. Do you remember the debate, Jake? Do you remember that when that was a thing? Do you yeah. remember Trump's tax returns? Do you remember any of this shit? Like none of it, like I, it's just too much. It's too fucking much. Yeah, and it's like they've got a fucking answer for all of it. They've got an excuse for everything, and it's like, and it doesn't matter. The thing is, it doesn't matter if that excuse is remotely convincing or if it if it makes oh, any no. fucking sense. Because we've we've all given up on trying to make sense of anything. Because nothing, it just yeah. is all nonsense now. Um, yeah, it's a truly so he has COVID. Yeah. Um, we're, we're recording this on the night of the vice presidential debate. I think it has just started. Um, I don't think I'm going to watch. I, I just. All that know, shit. I, who's that going to help? 
debates frustrate and sadden me more than anything. Yep. Because yep. honestly, even though it's like I know the side I'm rooting for, it's I, like I'm not going to be convinced by anything in this debate one way or another. I become sad by how like the way public discourse and politics needs to be distilled down to the most basic this team versus that team mentality and how Mm -hmm. the way it's approached is so much just like literally the whole approach is like that side's evil and they want to fuck they want to like ruin america and the other side just says that side's evil and they want to ruin america yep and it's like okay, well, let the chips fall where they may. I guess like this, it's this debate is meaningless, and there's no actual it's stupid. Do you know it's, what I mean? Like, there's no real sports. argument. It's another happens. version of sports and entertainment now, and that's all the debates have become. They're not like informed discussions about policy. They're no. not helpful uh, for people making a decision about who they're voting for. If you're using a debate to be like, yeah, I'm really gonna make up my mind here, like a. How have you not already made up your mind with everything that's been going on? Like, are you an idiot? Two, there's way more options for you to make a decision than like this televised fucking shit show. Debates don't make any sense really the way they're constructed. They don't make sense. Um, And I don't think they work. I guess 72 million people watched that debate. That's like Super Bowl numbers. I think that's more. Yeah, I want to say it might be more. It, that's crazy. I don't know. I have nothing else to say about it. I'm so exhausted by it because I watched some of the Me highlights too. and I was just like, wow, like this is the laughable, like I'm the comedian and watchman level of conclusion you'd come to about what this democracy would turn to. It's like you oh have God. you have yeah. a literal like – self-made in air quotes millionaire billionaire whose money is made on manipulating tax code and just like doing everything the wrong way in capitalism to the top and Mm -hmm. literally lying through his teeth at every turn and it worked and it continues to work versus a well-intentioned but ultimately ultimately like not that inspiring candidate on the democratic side who is clearly losing a little bit mentally I'm not going to mm-hmm. like, we're not going to deny that. And who is just like what the machine has spit out as the safest option. And it's like, and it's like, you know what, when I like, I'm not voting for Donald Trump, it's not going to happen, but it's like, I get why people who like are entrenched in the Trump camp are like, well, I'm not going to change teams for Biden. Yeah. He's not that inspiring. And it's too bad. Yeah. It's a yeah. shame. I mean, and it's, I just got so sad watching it. Cause it's like, what I know? How do we not have two like in all the the entire country? We don't have two diff- two people who like, are better positioned. It's, it's this. It's like this false choice almost. It's like yeah. how do we end up here? Like what the fuck? But it says it says a lot about us. Like we're we are reflected back in in both of these candidates in a way. Our, yeah, our well, entire yeah. country, and it doesn't look good. Doesn't look good. No, dude, everybody after the debate, I was actually shocked because I was listening to The Daily, the New York Times podcast, and on it, um, usually they're pretty, like, straight, like, they're, they're, not, they're not letting up their hand on their opinion on how a thing went, basically. Like, yeah. they, they're trying to be truly journalistic about it. Michael Barbaro and the guest he had on were both, like, openly calling it a shit show. Like, they were saying it was, like, a true mess and wow. that they were exhausted by it. 
Wow. And these are New York That's Times journalists who do everything they can yeah. to seem impartial and like, yep. and like e even to the most obvious things, the question is always, well, explain yes. why that would be, you know, like. To, to a frustrating degree sometimes where you're like, I get what you're doing, but Jesus. Um, yeah, even on that, that show, that does say something. Yeah, that does say something. Um, yeah, so we're we're the shit show continues. Here's, how about this for shit shows, Jake? The NFL marches on. We're into. We're about to hit what week four? We just hit week four. We just hit week four. Um, just yeah, it up. we just had week four. Yeah. Patriots, Cam Newton, COVID outbreak. We just got word Stephen Gilmore today has COVID. The Titans have already had a team outbreak. Um, how long until this is the norm across the league? And do we finish the season? I think we do because there's too much money at stake. But what do you think? Yeah, I, I sort of doubt that we get through it without a modified schedule of some kind. But I, but I yeah. think, yeah, there, there'll be a Super Bowl. Like, who, who are we kidding? Like, the, does, it, does the Super Bowl happen in February or does it get pushed to March? I don't know enough about the situation to, to, to make a guess, but I don't know. It'll probably be pushed off in some way or another. And we'll be, you know, we'll be yeah. watching on fucking zoom together by then because we won't have fixed anything. <laughs> I know. I know. Jesus Christ. Um, speaking of sports though, the one bright spot of this year, one, one of the few, the NBA, the NBA bubble. I want to tip my cap to the NBA for yeah. like handling it right and actually putting the work in and figuring this out. They had no positive tests, no outbreaks. The Lakers and LeBron, they're about to win um, the NBA finals. I think the level of basketball that has been played in the bubble has been fantastic. Um, it's some of the best NBA I've seen in my entire life. I will be sad to see it go because um, it got me through the summer. It's got me through a big chunk of the fall. Uh, I am so impressed by LeBron, 35 years old, about to win his fourth championship. Um, this Lakers team, yeah, Anthony Davis is amazing, but everyone else on that team is kind of like average. I mean, Rondo's been playing well, which I actually really like to see because I, I still I like Rondo. Um, Me too. I, I, I have a take about LeBron, though. Now that he's about to win his, his fourth, he's the best player of all time. Okay. I don't know. Like, the – the the amount of time once he gets to the the end of his career the amount of games the longevity he's going to hold almost every record in the book um maybe he won't win six rings but he's going to get pretty damn close i just don't know how you can argue like oh no jordan's better like he was probably greater at one point and maybe yeah. at a higher high but if you're picking one player, all-time NBA history, I'm picking LeBron James. Honestly, that's very fair. I think I think Jordan is. I think he's more iconic. I think he is, yeah. like you say, he's greater in that kind of like mystical Culturally, sense. He probably is more impactful and greater. Yes, but that's not pure basketball. Like I think it's LeBron. LeBron's a basketball genius in a way that, like, yes, Jordan was too. LeBron just understands the game on a different level, and I think he could have played in any era and dominated. Yeah, I mean, I think – I'm sure Jordan is a basketball genius too. Here's all I was going to say is that I, I don't disagree with you or agree with you yet. I just would have to think about it more. I think with Jordan, um, 
and the, the, the championship number that's always held up, to me, yeah. like, that is it, – it becomes a flimsy argument. Like, just the idea that, like, he won six, so he's definitely better. Because – Or with six and oh. It, yeah, it's very limiting. It limits how, how, much, how you can argue. Because it's like in, across sports. Like, that, oh, so we're not going to think critically about why maybe LeBron. Like what's actually more impressive? Two three-peats or getting to the finals 10 years in a row. Yeah. I, with less talented teams. And I think there's an argument to be had. I don't know that I have an answer. But um, – yeah, I don't. I, I wouldn't say I disagree with you. I think that it's like it's going to be interesting, and also, it's fascinating how much the idea of needing to crown a greatest is ingrained in us. It's I like, know. and that's that's True. that's not a knock on you doing that. That's just like because I do it too naturally. I want to know who's yep. the best player because it's like there's a real argument for Kareem as well. I think when it's all said and done, though, LeBron, like he'll have played as long or longer and will have broken almost all Kareem's records, I think. Yeah. And he's maybe not scoring. I'm not sure like what that pace looks like right now, but I think LeBron has every opportunity to break that. LeBron is a total freak and, and, and having been rooting for teams that are going against him in the playoffs, it's hell. You just like, you feel like, Oh my God, it's, it's brutal. When you, now that I'm removed from those Celtics wars with LeBron, I, I, I can just see him as an all-time great now. And, and, like, in this finals, I will just remind myself sometimes. I'll be like, all right, you are watching probably the best player to ever play this game. Just take it in. Don't take it for granted. Like, really be like, what is he doing right now that makes him that way? And if you can kind of lock in on that idea, you will notice the way he operates is like no one. He's in complete control of the game at all times. It's fascinating. And just understands it on this level. You can like really just see. Look, you can complain about the flopping or his theatrics or whatever you want to call it. That just sort of, I don't know. I'm fascinated by LeBron James. I'm fascinated by his psychology, by his personality, by like all of it. Yeah, And man. I think I, I got lost in like the, oh, like he – fuck LeBron, like he beat my team or like he's not as good as Jordan. That, I, I, I used to hold that, uh, all, those, all those thoughts. But now I'm just like, he's right in front of us as the best player of all time. I should appreciate it. It's my favorite sport, my favorite league, and he's the best player to do it. Like, okay, that's pretty fucking awesome. Yeah, it, it, we are lucky to get to watch it. And like, I, we've been lucky to get to watch some battles with LeBron too. Like, and and yes. ones where he, like some iconic LeBron shit. Like, yeah. Get at the Celtics' expense some of the time, but it's like yeah. when the history's written on that, it's not going to matter. Like as an example, like early flashes of that, like the 07 Celts who eventually pulled through. Yep, that's the series with LeBron James with no regard for human life, which is an iconic time. That that's true, and I like that when the LeBron documentary version of the last his last dance comes out, you know they'll talk about the Cleveland early playoff loss oh, dude. to Boston. They'll talk about him, how he kind of gave up on the series against the Celtics in 2010. And then when he left, I, I can't wait to see those, that part of the doc where those Celtics teams got the better of him. But you know, then they're going to be like, and then when he went to the Heat, like he finally got over the hump against those Celtics teams. That like 2012 loss, that game seven loss in, uh, against Miami, 
still hurts. Like, it I does. thought we were going to go to the finals that year. I thought we had his number again. And that was the year that Rondo was, like, one of the best players in the league. Rondo, I think, was maybe the best player on that team. And, dude, it's going to be – honestly, in that documentary, like, say they did a last dance for LeBron, that could border yep. – that could be, like, half a full episode is just Celtics shit. Celtics, LeBron. Because he Wars. fucking yeah. hates the Celtics, dude, and they hate him. He Pierce, really does. Pierce yep. does not try to hide it, and it's like he gets – I love how much, dude – he gets clowned on Twitter so much for his takes on LeBron. It's like there's so many times where, like, I'll see – I kind of love it, though, where he's I like, yeah, he's, he's probably not, like, top ten for me. It's like, dude, what? Well, he'll say that, and then it's like people will reply to him, and it's all people being like, this is Paul Pierce RN. And it's him. It's like it's just a guy applying clown makeup in four steps. <laughs> that's amazing that's fucking hilarious dude yeah i i do love how much like garnett and pierce are just like in our era we weren't afraid of lebron these guys now like i i do i love that it's it's a different era of basketball that like well, i'm glad we got to see but it's probably not coming back in that same way but it's um, also like dude, but it, it's hilarious it's also like as much as i love those dudes it's like you guys won one championship one you got one <laughs> yeah and yeah. you kind of blew it in a, in another one. <laughs> After in that, in a huge I know, way, I know. like in the clutch where you really should have finished. Yep. And you just couldn't. Yep. You blew a lead in the fourth against the Lakers in Game Seven, which still is like one of the. That's the second worst loss in my sports memory to the the Patriots Same. Super Bowl Forty Two. Oh seven, Pat. Yep. Yep. I just agree. crushing. I dude. agree with you. Um, but yeah, I think okay. So the, the last thought on basketball you know we're definitely going to get either or maybe all of these things a, a documentary about the bubble and like oh, yeah. this whole part of the season or a book or some kind of oral history type of deal like and i can't wait for all of it same and i wanted to ask you actually while we're on the topic of basketball uh thoughts on the celtics team kind of they got really kind of outshone yeah. by this heat team who just really throughout the entire series looked better looked feistier here's the thing out hustled the them tougher wanted it more out hustled them and these sound like cliches but honestly, no, it's just true when you're in a seven game series that shit matters well and it adds up and it showed every fourth quarter was just like no the heat aren't afraid of this moment the Celtics, you could tell in a lot of the fourth quarters, were like, we're very conscious that these are big moments. Like Tatum, as big of a step as he took this year, and I think he's going to get better, and I think he's going to be one of the best players in the NBA for a long time. He is still very, very conscious of the moment and that he needs to be the guy. He's like, I got to – and he plays different. When he's not thinking, they're, he's they're great, and he's great. That's the problem with Jalen. That's the problem with Tatum. They're still too young. They're still a little immature. They weren't ready yet. And, and that's okay. I think they'll be in the conversation a lot going forward. So I'm actually really encouraged. Yeah, it sucks that they lost. But, like, dude, we weren't going to beat this Lakers team. So, like, no. I kind of would rather lose in the Eastern Conference Finals again than go to the, the finals and maybe take one game off the Lakers. That's very fair. And I would say that, like, so as a kid, we both, I mean, I know you were as obsessed as I was. When we were kids, we logged hours and hours and hours of watching the Celtics. So, like, 
Yep. I watched a fuck ton of basketball from like fourth through seventh grade, just like every Celtics game I could possibly watch. Yeah. And I remember from that era, there were just these teams. It would, it would always be like the Hornets or the Pacers or the Pistons. There were these annoying yep. ass teams who, when the Celts would play them, it was just really obvious that like, even if the Celtics made a run, even if they took a game from them, it was apparent that that other team was going to outlast them and that they were just like just better, just were better and tougher. And I felt Best that way. Example this whole of that series was the Nets with Jason. The Nets. Did, where yeah. We went up against them, I think a couple playoffs in a row. And I, we even went to the Eastern conference finals. I think we pushed them to six and uh, you just knew though. You're like, we're, we're just not as good. <laughs> like, and, yeah. and we're lucky we pushed it to six. So yeah, that's, that's what happened here, honestly, where you're just like, okay, they're not ready yet. And that's fine. Like, honestly, I had a ton of fun watching this team and like watching them make this run. I also think Eric Spolster is a slightly better coach than Brad Stevens and probably outcoached him in this series. That's, so, that's very fair. Do you think Spolster might be the best coach in the league though? So do you think long-term and I, I don't know the specifics of his contract, that Tatum will be a guy who stays with the Celts because I could see him in this era of how players jump around and like, dude, he was like a huge Kobe fan. I think he would jump at the chance to go to the Lakers if he could. Here's the thing, though, he will get the supermax from Boston because he's uh, was a rookie with us and he'll be able to find sign that five year supermax. Also. Look around the rest of the NBA right now. The most popular franchises, probably, like the Lakers are not going to be able to sign Tatum in a year. They're still going to be locked up with LeBron and AD. That's the most uh, popular landing spot for guys. Everyone wants to go to the Lakers. Um, I kind of get the sense that him and Jalen are like, no, we're going to like see this Boston thing through. I think they actually are like kind of committed to that, at least for the next – contract like the next five years probably that's our window my hope is that is that it, it seems like Jalen especially has a, a really good head on his shoulders and is like maybe the smartest dude yeah. in the league like just in terms of like pure yeah. intelligence and social awareness and yeah. stuff and my hope is that he can be like I don't think it's not like I think Tatum is not smart but I just think that Jalen Brown is like a very intelligent dude and I could see him like giving Jalen uh Tatum some real perspective and being like, we have something really special here. Like we've built this foundation. Yeah. Like we, we should, we should finish what we started here type of thing. I actually think Tatum is smart enough to maybe even realize that on his, on his own, not even need Jalen to, to tell him that. I guess what and I mean, I, like, I guess, yeah, I'm, I'm in. I guess what I mean is that I could see Jalen being very convincing in that way. And like a very solid foundation of a teammate to have around, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, that's a great point. That's a great point. And I think with Tatum, like, look, if he was playing on the fucking Thunder, I'd say, yeah, he wants to probably leave first chance he gets. Even Giannis in Milwaukee. Like, people are like, eh, does he really want to be in Milwaukee? Boston's a big market. It's a classic franchise. Yeah. And he's the best player on it who will be making a max deal. Like, honestly, outside of the L.A. teams and, I don't know, maybe, like, Miami – I don't think there's many better landing spots for him than right where he is. Like, True. Where, where else would he go? That's fair. And the Knicks mystique is seemingly gone. Dude, I think the players don't want to deal with James Dolan. 
they fucking hate that guy. Kyrie and KD were like, yeah, we're just going to go play in Brooklyn. Like, fuck the Knicks. Yeah, dude, I don't blame them because, like, the Knicks have never really done shit. 70s, no. they won, what, no. a championship or two? 70s, one. One chip, two chips, maybe. The, the Knicks are maybe. nothing. Dude, they're not even that cool a franchise. Madison Square Garden is cooler than they are as a team. Yes, New York City and Madison Square Garden are cooler than anything about the Knicks themselves. If you take the Knicks out of New York, they're a laughing stock. That being said, um, when we went to Madison Square Garden to see McCartney, it made me realize like I'd love to see a basketball game at MSG. I know. Would if I can, I mean, like, dude, sick. who knows if that'll ever be a reality again? But sure, um, yeah, we might I not even have a fucking that. functioning country by then. Dude, we might be in the final month of like even this this normalcy quote. Um, who knows what, what's going to be happening in a month? Yeah, it's fair. Oh boy. Yeah. Anyways, you want to dive in? Let's do it. On that note, that positive note. Okay, here we go. <laughs> Did you? Did you see the note I put under news, by the way? Yes, I, I added a parenthetical <laughs> at the end of it. <laughs> but did you did you see my other note that I Yes, I did. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, great. All right, let's dive in. Here we go. Three, two, one.